out there, all you entrepreneurs and small business people. You are listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show, and I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The show has two goals, really. First, to share helpful information and resources. I have made a lot of mistakes as an entrepreneur, and I truly want to help you not make some of those mistakes. The second goal is to inspire I found being an entrepreneur confusing, often lonely, sometimes downright depressing and discouraging. You have no idea if you're on the right track or not or where to turn for good advice lots of times. So to help with both those goals, every week I have guests on the show who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And my guest this week is Allison Steger. She is a two-time entrepreneur, really. She has her own private psychotherapy practice called High Wire Therapy, and she's also the owner and founder of a company called Matriarchy. And we're going to hear about both of her businesses and some of the reasons why she decided that having private practice alone was not enough and led her to found Matriarchy as well. Allison, thanks so much for being on the show and being with me today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. Well, hi back. (laughs) So you have two businesses. Mm -hmm. Talk about both of them, how you got started and what each of your businesses does. Sure. I initially started with my private practice, High Wire Therapy, which I opened in 2018 after I left um, a group practice that I was working at to strike out on my own. And I started that in Louisiana. I recently moved from New Orleans to Chicago and pretty quickly decided I wanted to specialize in perinatal mental health, which is covers the period of time in a person's life from when they are considering having a child to, you know, forever postpartum, <laughs> I think technically the first year, but we know it goes longer than that where support is needed. And so everything in between that might happen, such as infertility, pregnancy and infant loss, birth trauma, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, things like that. That I decided to pursue because it was interesting to me. Um, because it just just to clarify, yeah. so when yeah. you were in Louisiana mm-hmm. on your own, did you have the same focus or or no. was it general practice? No, actually, um, a lot of my initial training and clinical work in my graduate internship and following that was working with children and adolescents and. Uh-huh. Um, often with a lot of trauma or children in the foster care system. And as time went on and as I had my own child, I became really, really interested in understanding what was happening with the parents and the caregivers and their relationships with the children, their their children or the children they were caring for, but also how their own stories, their own struggles were often shaping the relationship that they had with their children. And so it really felt to me like if there was more support around parenthood and um, I just mental health support in general, but what would be different in, you know, parents' relationships with their children and then the outcomes for children as well. But so would you say it's 
maybe more focused on trying to get to the root of some of the issues as opposed to treating the symptoms, trying to make fundamental changes at the beginning? Is that what led you there? Yeah, I think it's just a focus on general reproductive justice where, you know, not just meaning whether a person has a child, but all the factors that might go into that being a success for them and that happening in the way and in on the timeline that they want it to. And so mental health is obviously a big part of that and access to mental health and just general support around what it means to become a parent and what that it means for your identity and all parts of your life. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think there are a lot of misleading, unhelpful norms and narratives out there and they are not doing any good. <laughs> and so a lot of my work is in aiming to look at those, disrupt them, change them. Well, you said something I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Unhelpful normatives and narratives Mm -hmm. about your thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you know, I can speak most to the um, norms around motherhood. Number one norm being that often parenting and care falls to the mother or the female partner in a heterosexual couple. So there's often this expectation of labor and care and nurturing. And that expectation is often that that becomes a person's identity. Um, A mother is never supposed to question that and is supposed to give this endlessly and just be happy with that and be sustained throughout any hardship by the love that she has for her children. Well, you know, I I want to jump in and comment on that just from my Mm -hmm. own experience. I think the flip side happens too. I mean, I was a single mom Mm -hmm. working, raising my daughter, and I never felt like I fit in with the neighborhood house moms Mm -hmm. who were kind of like, well, you know, if you're a mom, you need to volunteer in the school Mm -hmm. and be a teacher's helper. And where are you? Why are Aren't you doing that? And honestly, I felt inadequate mm-hmm. as a mom. I'm sure Absolutely. partly because I was juggling so many plates, but those women, I'm sure, meant well, but I think they didn't really know what to do with me. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just a plea for people to be understanding of single parents, frankly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are neither fish nor fowl in our society, at least according to most of the norms that we have today. Yeah. And I would say that that's not the flip side. That's the exact thing that I'm talking about is that there's such a narrow definition of what a mother is and how she acts that when somebody, you know, quote, deviates from that, And often people have to, because that's just, I mean, that's the life that they have, right? Being a single parent or having to be a working parent, choosing to be a working parent, you know, any of these things, Right. then there's often a judgment or criticism. And sometimes that does come from other mothers who might've internalized those messages. Absolutely. How have you built your practice here Mm -hmm. or rebuilt your practice, I guess, in Chicago? I mean... (laughs) You know, it's hard moving and mm-hmm. also you pivoted a bit in terms of your focus. So talk about how you've gone about building that. Yes. So I am, you know, still in transition, um, be getting established here. I am dual licensed in Louisiana and Illinois. And um, the past few months have really been like doing a lot of administrative catch up 
you know, establishing my professional LLC and getting on an insurance panel and, you know, beginning to form community and network with other people. So I think at this point, I'm just starting to see that all start to pay off. And um, really the best way that I know to build my practice is to talk to other people who are in this field or who see clients um, with, you know, adjacent needs. So that might look like just other couples therapists or um, child therapists. Um, It might look like doulas or pelvic floor therapists or OBGYNs or lactation consultants, you know, anything like that. And so I'm starting to feel my way into that and connect with other people Um, and just doing the normal things like having my website and psychology today profile and getting on listservs. But I think making that human connection and for me, I, I prefer to give referrals to people that I know or have talked to or can kind of put a face to and feel like I think it's a good person to send somebody to. So, you know, I like to get out from behind the screen. <laughs> yeah, no, well, good for you. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very brave to pick up and move mm-hmm. because when a business depends a lot on referrals, it depends mm-hmm. on your network and your personal relationships. And when you've moved, Mm -hmm. what a daunting thing to Mm -hmm. build all that from scratch again. Yes. I mean, luckily, because I'm able to maintain my license in Louisiana and do telehealth there, um, I can still, you know, I have that network established already. Um, So, you know, that kind of tided me over as well. And I was able to bring some of my existing clients you know, I had visions of maybe you're you're thinking of becoming nationwide, but then I yeah. forgot about the licensing mm-hmm. piece of it. So yeah. talk about some of the challenges, limitations, but opportunities too with telehealth. Right. So you're correct. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um and we are you have to be licensed in the state in which your client is in in order to see them. So that, you know, has its limits, but I'd say, you know, the advantages, I mean, you can still see somebody anywhere within your state. And so for people who might live in more you know, rural areas or areas where there would be a lot of driving to go to an office um, or maybe don't have access to easy transportation or who are just, you know, more comfortable in their homes or it's easier with scheduling. Telehealth has a wide range of access for people. And once the pandemic hit, the insurance companies that were kind of straggling, uh, telehealth had already sort of been approved for some insurance plans or therapy before the pandemic. But then once that happened, all of them got in line. Although I think there are some who are walking that back at this point, which is just par for the course. (laughs) Access to to mental health resources Mm -hmm. was already challenging Mm -hmm. enough. Yes. Or some are questioning whether they should reimburse the same amount as in person as if it's not the same amount of work. But the challenges, I mean, obviously there are technical challenges. First of all, not everybody has access to this technology or a device or Wi-Fi. And of course, sometimes your Wi-Fi can short out in the middle of you know something really oh, important. Oh yes, that happens to me. That yeah. happens to me recording my shows routinely, uh-huh. unfortunately. 
I would say from my perspective, you know, I, I like a variety. I prefer this hybrid model that I have. It's nice to be in my home. It's nice to, you know, that the convenience of that, but I really, really do still enjoy being in an office with somebody. I can see their whole body and their body yeah. language. And there's just, I think, more co-regulation that happens naturally versus really having to work to kind of set things up when you're um, across the screen. But Right. Well, there's also an engagement piece. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. dealing with difficult issues, mm-hmm. people's personal lives, people's psyche, people's hot buttons, if you will. Mm-hmm. And how many of us have been on a Zoom call and we're playing on our phone? Yes, distracted. Scrolling, mm-hmm. doing something mm-hmm. else because we just, I don't know, I think our society anymore, I don't know if we have ADD, <laughs> but it's not too far from that probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zoom doesn't help. Just wonder sometimes if people get distracted more easily when they're trying to do it via Zoom or mm-hmm. Google Hangouts or whatever. Possibly. I try to upfront talk about let's treat this as if you were in my office. So, what does that mean for creating an environment on your end? It means if you were in my office, your phone would be off <laughs> or, right. you know, hidden away. Right. Um, you know, there would be nobody else in walking through the room with us you right. in a comfortable place. It would be quiet. You know, you'd have your water, whatever that might be. Right. So you haven't talked about matriarchy. Mm-hmm. What led yes. you <laughs> to form that? And what does it do? Yes. Yeah, so the matriarchy is a coaching practice. I do a bit of, I guess you would call it like personal development <laughs> coaching or life coaching. Primarily, my offerings are centered around business coaching for feminist mothers who want to build small care-based feminist businesses. What does that mean? (laughs) I'm not even sure I know what a feminist business is or a feminist mother. Well, a feminist mother would just be someone who identifies with feminist principles and values of like social justice and equality and equity, and who is looking to make some sort of progressive change in the world that might be centered around more progressive or social justice values. Um, So I consider a lot of these like sort of care-based businesses, such as a therapy practice, a coaching practice, educators, Uh, other healers and helpers, And they want to create their own small solo business because perhaps traditional work is not working for them in terms of not being a sustainable place for them as mothers or as women, or because they have a vision of what they want to put in the world that is not, that does not align with maybe what their employer's vision might be. And they want to have control over that and work to create a different type of business. And then feminist business practices would also just be, you know, based in anything from like the way that you do your marketing, where you make sure you're getting a lot of consent before you start sending out sales emails to, um, you know, not exploit people's pain points in order to sell them something or make them feel like they're deficient in some way. One of my coaches, Kelly Deals, is actually a genius around all this, and I've learned almost everything from her. Um, so hat tip to her. 
I guess I'm curious what made you believe there was a need for this that oh. was, that was unmet <laughs> because it's I have like I 75% of what people talk about in therapy with me <laughs> is that ah, their mothers their their relationship to work is often um not what they want it to be so that might be a parent who is a stay at home uncompensated mother um you know, some people have that arrangement and are fine with it and it works. Others feel like I need something different. I need to be able to um, bring in an income. I need to be able to do something outside of strictly raising my children or they are, you know, working parents already, but their employer and the way that their job is set up just is not working for them in terms of if they are the parent who needs to be home with the kids when they're sick, or they might not have enough time off for maternity leave or things like that, or they're being passed over for promotions because they're seen as, you know, not being as invested in the job because they have children or, you know, right. Or, or they that... have to leave on time because mm -hmm. they have a kid to pick up. Right. right. And that's, you know. yeah. And that's a ding against them. Exactly. Yep. It, mm -hmm. Over time, they are dings. There's no mm -hmm. question in many business in workplaces. So what are you hearing from these moms? because I've read a lot and I'm sure other people have too, mm -hmm. that the pandemic disproportionately affected women, mm -hmm. probably both because suddenly kids were home from school, but apparently women are disproportionately have left the workforce, either temporarily yeah. or permanently. So what are you hearing anecdotally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say I'm better equipped to speak to, um, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of my clients might be already working in like things like uh, education or healthcare, or it might be other therapists or things like that. So they are feeling this, you know, kind of being double billed by having to go to work and care for people and then come home and care for people. <laughs> and we know that let's just say an education in mental health, that care is very, very undervalued. For sure. I think my insurance, when I asked about it uh, mm -hmm. at one point, uh, gave me eight sessions or something. Mm -hmm. Ooh, mm -hmm. it's like, well, can we, can right. we do all this in eight sessions? I doubt it. Right. And if we even think about just what, you know, say teachers are paid for the amount of education and experience they have and the amount of work they're being asked to do. I mean, it's no wonder if people are leaving that profession in droves. So, and nursing too. There's nursing another too. And, and I will speak in therapy. I mean, people don't stay at community or agency jobs because of those same things or at nonprofit jobs. The compensation is often laughable given that you have to have a graduate degree and, you know, years of unpaid or low paid pre-licensure experience and, you know, all these trainings you have to do to, you know, keep up. And then just the, I mean, emotional toll of what you're being asked to do too often at community agencies. Well, so, so what are women, what are women doing out there then? I mean, you can't just keep leaving jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Or can you? Well, no, they're staying with it um, and they're miserable. <laughs> and so that's why, you know, sometimes what comes up is like, I wish I could do something different. And 
or I wish I could do my own thing. And as someone who has been self-employed for a long time, like it's, I keep thinking to myself like, oh, you could though. Like, you know, maybe there's a, maybe you could. And I don't mean that everybody can just run out and start their own job and and be like profitable enough for it to sustain them or that that's even the right thing for everybody. But my niche and what I feel like I can help with and I don't do this obviously with my therapy clients, these are different <laughs> clients, <laughs> but it's to sort of say like, actually, let's think about this. Like maybe there is a way, if you're looking to start a therapy practice, like that isn't actually a very doable thing. You know, we can talk about that and I can help you through this business coaching, you know, build that. So I'm not, I stay in my lane here. I'm not someone who's ever worked in corporate. I'm not like an executive coach. I am not, you know, somebody who's going to teach somebody how to start like a retail business or something like that. But I, in this niche, I can definitely, I definitely know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, and are there no other alternatives? And I guess why not? No, there are. I mean, I think that there are, there has definitely, and again, this is anecdotal. I mean, there's probably research behind this, but just from the circles that I am in of women entrepreneurs and feminist business owners, I think there are a lot of people who are looking to disrupt the status quo and, and maybe do have like a, like a law firm or something or a publishing company, but it is done with more principles of equity and um, like serving and working with people who are traditionally underserved and structuring their companies in ways that actually work for their employees <laughs> um, and not just, you know, nine to five, you have to be here and, you know, these kinds of things. So I, I do believe that those are out there and those are other options. You know, they, of course, building those kinds of things, you're up against a lot <laughs> because things have been a certain way for people yeah. for a long time. Oh, but yeah. I think there is absolutely a shift. You know, if you did want to go work a corporate job or something, there are definitely companies that are really examining their values and the space they take up in the world. And um <laughs> trying to do something different. That's not something I know a ton about, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Change happens slowly. We human beings don't yeah. like change very much. Mm -hmm. And as a society, uh, there's even more collective resistance, you know, mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. Talk about your background a little mm -hmm. bit. How did you decide that being self-employed was the right move for you and that you were the right person to start this new business. Mm -hmm. So ending up as someone who is self-employed, honestly, just, I, I, it might've happened anyway, but it was just sort of the natural progression of the path that I took. So once I graduated my master's, you know, I was looking for a job. It was in 2009. So <laughs> in the middle of the, oh, terrible time. Everything. yeah, especially to be looking for, you know, like a social work job. I interviewed at a lot of places. Um, I, a lot of what was out there was like mental health rehabilitation, which means like 
kind of going into homes, going to the schools, working with people doing like wraparound services. And I didn't have a car. And so that like cut me out of a lot of them. (laughs) So I ended up getting a job working on a research project at Tulane um, and being like comparing types of their uh, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I was one of the therapists who would follow this therapeutic protocol with clients. And so for two years, strictly all I saw was children and adolescents with trauma. And then when that grant ran out, the director of that project was starting a group practice um, to try and reach some of the populations that were not being reached, um, specifically children under six who had Medicaid. And he kind of took me with him to do a lot of like the administrative work um, and intakes and be a therapist at the practice. So at that moment, I became a contractor, you know, basically self-employed. Um, wow, yeah. It you just were sort gig- of was the natural were a, thing. a gigger, basically. I was, yeah. And and that's how a lot of people start mm-hmm. really becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, and that's how a lot of therapists bridge between, you know, agency work and private practice, too. It, it just sort of was what was available, um, and it was good enough, and then, you know, it happened to work out. <laughs> right. So um, I worked there for, gosh, I think like five years, and then, you know, started slowly opening up my own practice. And I, so I did both for about maybe nine months or so. And then just Ah. said, I got to cut and run and and only do one thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you some more questions about that piece of your journey, because I think that's a pretty common interim step. I certainly made that transition as well. It's nice because when you're a gigger, you still have to set up your own company. Mm-hmm. You have to think about your taxes differently. You certainly mm-hmm. have to think about marketing and what's next, because if the current gig or gigs run out, what are you going to do? It affects your budgeting and planning. So, I, I, you know, I think that's an interesting transition for a lot of folks. But I think it's interesting that you've now taken it another step farther, which is you've pivoted into a specialty that wasn't your sole specialty before in your private practice Mm -hmm. and to a coaching business, which is yet another pivot. So talk about that process for you. About moving into coaching? So um, it's actually more common than you might think, um, especially well, maybe forever, but like more recently, there have definitely been a lot of therapists who are kind of feeling the crunch of just doing full-time private practice therapy for many reasons. And so a lot are exploring what to do, you know, maybe within their practice to kind of change it up or what they might do beyond private practice. And so I decided to you know, look outside of my practice because I was just feeling number one, like, okay, I'm just seeing one-on-one people all day long. Um, felt like there was parts that weren't being addressed or weren't, there was like more than what was happening with the individual client that I was seeing. So I'm hearing the same things, you know, where 
either they're not meeting criteria for a, you know, a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis, like they don't have postpartum depression or something, or they do and they get treatment and it starts to resolve. And there's still these same issues of just like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be as a mother. I don't know how to step into this identity. Our society does not make space for that. It's just sort of like, here's your baby. And that should be all that you need, you know, like go forth in the world. Finally, you finally accomplished your mission in life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> now go, go live happily ever after, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, that just ties into some of that messaging that we were talking about earlier of like, you know, if you ask for help, it must mean that you can't handle this. Or if you say you're having trouble with some parts of motherhood, it must mean that you're a bad mother. And so there's so much judgment. Well, I'll even jump in and say, I was reluctant to ask for help a lot of times because I already was getting so much unsolicited advice. (laughs) I I don't know what in our society makes us Mm -hmm. wired up and people think that you should be saying things to perfect strangers Mm -hmm. as you're standing in line or in a store trying to shop Mm -hmm. about, oh, this is what you, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. You need to, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. this is how you stop that. Right. It's like all the unsolicited parenting advice I got was absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because that's a big component of the theoretical background of my work here is that you know, our society is wired to just speaking around motherhood, like to see almost when a person becomes a mother, like that's all she is now. And that sense, she is, you know, kind of ceases to be a human and just as exists for her child. And so we can touch her belly and um, touch her kid and give this unsolicited advice and make judgments and, you know, kind of like step in in this way that maybe we wouldn't otherwise or that maybe doesn't happen to other people. And so, you know, I wanted to create a space and although this can be done to an extent in in therapy, but also I just wanted to create a broader space um, to bring mothers together to, you know, be able to talk frankly about what this, you know, identity means to them and about all the parts of it that we're not supposed to talk about and yeah. nobody does talk about and how to retain your sense of identity and your humanity and just sort of integrate that together with the identity of being a mother. The struggles that people have, it's not because they don't like their kids or they don't like being mothers. It's because they don't like the identity of motherhood that has been given to us. And it's like one, one size and you have to just make yourself fit into it. And so I want to broaden that. I want to give space for people to really explore the landscape and their own maternal ecosystem and figure out what needs to be in there and who they are as parents. So that that way, when they go to give care to their children, their families, and just be humans in the world, they are doing it from a place that is really like aligned with their own values, their personality, their sense of identity. And so they don't feel the sense of like, I've given up everything or I've lost myself in this process. And then I'm able to be a mother in a way that is really meaningful for me and for my kids, you know? Yeah. I'm interested in how you've decided 
the model, I guess, that you've mm-hmm. chosen for your coaching business, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of different ways, you know, a lot of different aspects that some people use in their coaching businesses, right? And there's tons of coaches of different kinds. Some have online courses, some have Facebook groups or mm-hmm. in-person groups. Some have meetups. I don't know. There's probably endless different things you could How have you decided to structure your coaching business? Yes. So at the moment, I have two signature groups that I offer. Um, And this is a good time to be talking to me because I was just thinking about, I've been doing, starting my planning for next year for what I want to do as I grow a bit more. But the two groups I currently have, one um, is really just focused around, again, that like maternal identity piece. And it's called Rage Against the Mom Sheen. <laughs> it's about pushing back on just like the traditional narrative, what it, what it means to be a mother and really finding, like I said, your own ecosystem, creating that for yourself. And because supporting this identity of motherhood is foundational for my work, you know, I do this business coaching, but it it is held in place by like, we're, I'm not just business coaching, you know, anybody, it is specific to mothers and people who identify with the label of a mother. So that's one of the groups. And then my one that I'm running right now is my six week introduction to starting your own business. (laughs) It's called making business babies. And (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And so that's just like sort of a bite-sized six week group for people who are considering you know, maybe I want to start a private practice or start a coaching practice, or maybe they have just started it and are trying to like figure out what they want to do with it. Or people who have been in business for a little while, but maybe are feeling like they want to re-examine what they're doing, create new offerings, refine, you know, who they're working with, that kind of thing. Um, and so these groups, there's a fee to belong to the group and they meet? Yeah, they're structured regularly. groups. They run for six weeks. Uh, we meet the one that I'm doing now is Mondays for an hour and a half for six weeks. So they're just, they're very structured. You know, we have a topic that we're talking about. I have a PDF of worksheets that they work through, I have slides. Um, and then I do within that six weeks, they can meet with me for a 45 minute one-on-one coaching group. Ah. So, so yeah, it's a flat fee for the six weeks. Allison, mm-hmm. what do you see for the future of your coaching? Yes. What, what, will oh, so like in three, <laughs> what, what will it look like in three years if you're successful? Yeah. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention, I also do individual coaching packages to one-on-one, um, but primarily the groups. So in three years, what I would love to do is have turned this into more of like a not a strictly membership community, but um, I would love to funnel the people who take my groups or who, you know, sign up for workshops or things like that into, you know, maybe like a Mighty Networks membership or community um, where people are able to talk with each other. We're posting information and resources and have that and then offer my my groups and one-on-one coaching in a much longer term containers. So for example, um, I would love to do some sort of mastermind business coaching that's like eight or nine months of really deep work with, you know, a small group of people. 
but I really like variety too. So um, I want to ideally have a mixture of sort of like high ticket and free or low ticket offers. So I would love to do like a monthly meetup on Zoom um, because the good thing with coaching is that you can see clients from anywhere in the world. (laughs) Um, Right. I was going to ask you whether this was virtual or This is an unregulated industry at this point, for better Uh, or for worse. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'd love to do just like a monthly, you know, hour and a half meetup where maybe there's a certain kind of monthly theme that we're talking about and, you know, I may be posting different like resources in the community um, and then we kind of talk about them um, when we meet up. I'd love to do quarterly workshops and that's something I'm going to start doing next year about topics related to business and motherhood. And those would be, you know, like two or three hours and at a you know lower fee than uh, one-on-one or the bigger group offerings would be. And then I just want to, next year, I want to definitely play around with my groups and expand them a little bit, you know, because I'm in the beginning phases, I'm kind of putting things out there and not trying to commit to something huge right now, but just see what gets bites, what needs to be tweaked um, in order to make it something bigger. I don't want to have a million things going on because I don't want to, you know, lose focus. Well, <laughs> I have so many ideas. Well, in fact, I was going to ask you what you see happening to your mm-hmm. private practice. Yes. It's one thing when you're kind of in the phase of building both mm-hmm. the variety is great, but I could foresee if you were yeah. successful at one or God forbid both, yes. it would be a, a blessing <laughs> and much. a curse. So too much. Absolutely. Yeah. How are you thinking you might juggle that? It is a fine line and I am right in the middle of this place where it's like I you know, need to be careful with how much I lean into my private practice because I also want there to be room for building the matriarchy. But my private practice is also where the majority of my income comes from. So I can't just, you know, say goodbye to that. <laughs> and I don't well, want in, to in fact, I was going to ask you, I, I kind of got the feeling, but I shouldn't assume, but that the funding really for matriarchy is coming from your private practice. Yeah. You know, both of these businesses have a relatively low overhead. You know, I've put some money up front for the matriarchy through my practice and just some savings. Um, but you know, I'm able to subsist right now on a very, you know, low monthly overhead. And because I've run some groups, you know, I had some income come in. So now it's (laughs) self-sufficient, but I'm not going to be able to live off of it at this moment. So my practice, you know, this could very well change, but I don't see ever giving up my license or completely shutting down. Um, and this is the beauty of a practice too, is that you can kind of lean into it as much or as little as you want. Obviously I can't just, you know, decide, oh, I'm only going to have, you know, five clients now. And I currently have 15, so 10 have to just go. <laughs> like it's not going to be well, like that. Well, but... I mean, you know, one option you could do uh, is you can scale either or both of the organizations. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you may, that you want a like-minded therapist to share some of the load of the, the private practice. Personally, I don't think so. That is like generally a trajectory in private practice. You be a member of a group and then you start your own and then you scale it to a group. And I just have never had any interest in doing that. So what I see more realistically for me is maybe just 
kind of keeping an eye on how many clients I have and the rhythm of my business, you know, just being able to sort of say, okay, now I can take a few more and I want to maybe lean into this a bit more, or I need to stop taking new referrals and just kind of coast with who I have and keep, you know, three or four clients, Right. you know, if you're thinking about like, you know, cash flow in a business too, you know, if I need to make a little extra money, I can take, you know, one or two more clients or something. Um, and, you know, so having the practice is a pretty, not easy, but like, no, it allows you to be pretty, way. It allows yeah. you to be pretty nimble, I think. Yes, nimble. That's an excellent word for it. I like that. <laughs> I know being an entrepreneur is hard and, mm-hmm. Starting a service business is is mm-hmm. challenging because mm-hmm. you're not selling a cool perfume or a handbag. <laughs> you're selling you. Mm-hmm. And that's not always easy. Mm-hmm. What have you leaned into mm-hmm. and found strength and support from in your challenges in building these businesses? Yeah. Well, so I've gotten a lot of business coaching myself (laughs) and that's been really helpful receiving it, but also in formulating my own business coaching practice. Like, it's just very interesting to me. You know, I like the work that we're doing, but also like, (laughs) I like how the sausage is made too. You know, (laughs) I like seeing. Yeah. Well, that's the psychotherapist. Yes, definitely. Um, So that's been, you know, really key because, you know, you have to kind of go through something and, you know, I don't just like, you know, maybe necessarily don't want a therapist who's never been to therapy. (laughs) And what's been really helpful, I think, in the coaching that I've received and being in the communities that I'm a part of, because it's not just the coaching, it's also the other people who are, you know, maybe in groups with me or, you know, in those communities who have been really wonderful. You know, I have chosen the coaches and communities that I want to be a part of very strategically so that I am not working with people who are just about scale your business to, you know, 10 exit and make seven figures in one year. And because I just, I don't need that sense of urgency or pressure. um, And I don't know how realistic that is generally. So I have worked with people who normalize, like it takes a couple of years to get things up and running and to be able to live off of a business that you're creating. And it is hard to, you know, monitor your own internal resources to be able to, you know, come up with content and market yourself and to really strive and model, like you said, like putting, like making your business like an extension of you, you know, so that it's not like you're trying to perform this character or be an influencer or something like that. You are working with what is already inherent within you and just sort of bringing that out and making it more visible. And that's the track that I take with my groups that I run is we need to locate you and yourself and your humanity because that's what's going to be more helpful for you as a mother. And that is also what's going to be helpful for you in starting this type of business where it becomes this natural extension of what's already there within you. Yeah. Again, I think that's so important for service business providers. Mm-hmm. What advice looking back would you give to other people starting a business or thinking about starting their own business, especially women owners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to just put something out there. (laughs) You have to just start doing something. There is such a 
culture of perfectionism. And I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't even realize that that's, or like maybe identify with that, but just that sense of like, it has to be just right. I have to have everything in place. I have to know everything before I am allowed to do this and talk about this. And while it is certainly important to be within your integrity and your scope and your personal expertise, like nobody just knows everything and that's it, (laughs) you know? And so you have to just sort of start with what you do know, start talking about it and becoming more visible um, because I think that is scary for people who are maybe in more marginalized identities and being able to just create something, even if it's, hey, I'm doing this like two hour workshop and I'm doing it on Zoom and you can sign up on Eventbrite and, you know, Whoever shows up, shows up, (laughs) because that is all valuable information. It is. And I agree. There is a culture of perfectionism. And I think something that I talked about on another show not too long ago called the tall poppy syndrome, which is, Mm -hmm. which is, I I think women are afraid of being cut down. Mm -hmm. And so in order to avoid the pain of being cut down, they cut themselves down first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So no one will cut them down because either They've been cut down themselves or in paralysis because of being worried about being cut down until it's perfect. Do you think there's something to that? I do. And I hold a lot of compassion for that because I don't think that that is, you know, just, oh, you don't know your worth and you need to like lean in and act like a man and all that stuff. I think it is the response to a culture and a society that just doesn't want people who are not in certain normalized identities like white men to succeed. (laughs) And so, you know, this is, it's, it's internalized and it's really hard to see that it's happening. Um, It feels like it's a truth. And so there's a lot of love that I give to those people while also saying you can do this. That's, I think, that mother energy that's coming out of me is I hold you in unconditional positive regard, and I also want you to get up and let's do this together, and I'm going to help you. I I love that. Before I let you go, Allison, Mm -hmm. I want to give you a chance to share with my listeners how to reach you with either of your businesses Mm -hmm. or connect with you if something you've said today has uh, struck a chord with them. So there are a couple of different ways. My private practice, I just have my website. I'm not on any social media with that. Um, And that is um, www.highwiretherapy.com. And again, I work with clients in Louisiana and Illinois. And I also love to do, you know, speaking presentations or groups or collaborate with people on workshops related to perinatal mental health, motherhood, caregiving, that kind of thing. Right. And then the matriarchy, um, my website is www.welcometothematriarchy.com. I love the name. Welcome to the matriarchy. Yes. The was already taken. So there's that. And then I'm on Instagram as well. And that is at we are the matriarchy. Oh, Um, I like that too. Yeah. And either on Instagram or my website, there are ways to contact me, to work with me. Um, So all my contact email and 
information. Excellent. Uh, groups, all that stuff is, is on there. Excellent. Well, Allison, thank you so much for yeah. joining me this week on The Savvy Entrepreneur. It was a delight having you, and I yes, appreciate you. you sharing <laughs> candidly some of the challenges and just a bit about your journey. So thanks yes, again. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all my listeners. You are the reason I do this. Now, check out the Savvy Entrepreneur Radio Show YouTube channel. There are lots of static videos. Yes, I I didn't believe it, but lots of people listen to podcasts on YouTube. And you can go there and find lots of my past show episodes. Be sure to follow the channel so you'll be notified of new episodes. I have been blessed over the past, really, three years having wonderful guests who share their their stories and their journey, uh, opening their hearts and sharing their best tips. And I guarantee if you listen to some of those shows, you'll come away with inspiration and lots of great ideas for your own business. My door's always open for comments, questions, suggestions. You just want to shoot the breeze. I would love to hear from you. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. You'll always get a response back from me, I promise. Be sure to join me again next week for another guest. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurship.